0: All right, take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 1. I was talking to a minister friend this week, and uh, I was saying, you know, most of the time when I say that on a Sunday, most everybody just immediately does this. Just look up at the screen. So one of these Sundays, we're not going to put it up on the screen, just just to play a nice fun trick on you. So when I was about to get married, someone pulled me to the side, and they gave me some advice. And this is what he said. This is what you need to know about marriage. What is hers is hers. And what is yours, well, it's hers as well. (laughs) In every relationship and organization and community, there are two types of people. There are givers and there are takers. Confession time. Raise the hands. How many view themselves as givers? Alright. How many view themselves as takers? I like it. Speaking of narcissists, um, let me give you a simple test to see. uh, (laughs) Alright, are you ready? Here's a simple test to see if you're a narcissist. Step one take a moment to think about yourself. Step two if you made it to step two, you're not a narcissist. I'm being playful, but um, I'm sure at different stages of our life and different situations and different types of relationships, uh, we find ourselves as either givers or we find ourselves as takers. There was a study conducted recently that surveyed 30,000 people across the world and they found that most people are right there in the middle. They're givers and they're takers. And the study called them what's Called matchers. Matchers try to keep a balance of their life of give and take. Uh, I'd like, I'll do something for you if you do something for me. And it seems like a, a safe way and the most helpful relationship in an organization. In the church, there are both of these things. There are Um, a series of relationships there is organization it is a community and so it raises the question what is best for the church does the church need people to be givers or takers or could it be both the community needs to be both a community of receiving and giving And we started this conversation last week, this conversation called Ecclesia, as we're looking at the dynamics of the church. We looked at last week that oftentimes people say that the church is either a place for sinners or saints, but we looked at that the church is actually called to be both a place of sinners and saints, that we together are figuring this thing out. So could the church possibly be a place both of giving and receiving? And when I'm talking about giving, let me go ahead and get this out here. I am not talking about tithing and offering. So when I talk about giving today, don't think tithing and offering, okay? What I'm talking about is uh, an expression of your time and your resources and your strength. So let me repeat that. When I talk about giving, I'm talking about an expression of your time, your resources, your strength, and your focus. There's an age-old saying 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. So there's got to be a reason that that saying was created. Most likely it was created by the 20% of the people that wanted everybody to know that they do 80% of the work. So what is the church? A community of give or take or both? So for the context of our scripture in Luke chapter 21 verse 1, let's lay out what's happening here. Uh, Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem the final week of his public ministry. At the end of the week, the religious leaders are going to successfully conspire to have him arrested and put to death. When we get to chapter 20 and 21, there's really no wonder why they wanted to put Jesus to death. Um, Because Jesus does things like he goes into the temple and he completely destroys their whole marketing scheme of what's happening in the temple. He quite literally turned over the tables of the money changers, he scattered the animals being sold for sacrifices, he spoke dissenting words to a corrupt religious system. Luke tells us that Jesus would go to the temple each day, and each day the religious leaders would challenge. Him. Just listen to one of the phrases that Jesus uses in the temple. He says, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogue and places of honors at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Do you ever wonder why they wanted to send Jesus to the cross? <laughs> And then this conversation happens. Verse 1. It says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor woman put two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. But you're starting to see, again, why these religious leaders really, really wanted this guy dead. No one likes a prophet. No one likes his honesty. No one likes the message that came from God. And as Jesus is engaging in this very heated discussion that we see in this, uh, this chapter 20 and chapter 21... There's simultaneously this thing happening in the temple. People are coming to bring their offerings. Now, here's a quick history lesson of what happened in the temple. Uh, The temple was not only a religious um, institution, but it was also an economic one. The temple had hundreds of employees that included um, people that were part of the the company town, if you will, in Jerusalem. Um, People performed many financial uh, endeavors within the temple, including the operations of the bank and the treasury. And so there was two different types of giving stations in the temple. Um, and all of it was determined by the type of offering you were bringing, based on your particular gender, based on your particular class, and your race Again, if you were a Gentile you weren't welcome into a certain layer of the temple. This giving chest was co- called the shofar chest. It was shaped like the shofar horn and so somebody would come and they would drop their offering into it. And it's important to recognize who this woman is uh, in the story. For one, she is poor. That wouldn't have been a rare thing in Jesus' day because, again, uh, 10% of the people owned 90% of the wealth in Jesus' day. The poor were overwhelmingly taken advantage of in Jesus' day by the government and by the religious system. On top of this, this woman becoming poor, she's also a, a widow, which based on the law of Moses basically meant that she was worthless. She was taken advantage of by her day. She must be silent and unable to speak. Her, her prospects of in her inheritance were constantly being poached upon by other types of people. Widows became the very stereotypical symbol of exploitation and oppression in Jesus' day. And due to her lack of rights, this woman would suffer a lifelong of loneliness, of poverty, of hunger, of shame. We remember Jesus' words to the disciples when he. Dis- said in verse 20 chapter 20 45 through 47 they devour widows houses so the widow is contributing to the temple something it's so important to understand the context understand what's going on in this moment that she is giving this profound gift that she has no ability to give and yet she gives it anyways even though she's being exploited by this religious system there's a classic, classic English story of Robin Hood. We all know this story. Um, it was built around the context of this evil Prince John who's overtaxing the people and he uses the sheriff of Nottingham to enforce these unjust laws and requires the poor to give more than the government uh, should be taking from them. In steps a hero, Robin Hood, who does what? Steals from the rich to give to the poor. But we know that the rich aren't going to go sleeping on this one why because Prince John begins to tax the people even more and he's trying to get the people to hate Robin Hood as a result he doubles down on the taxes he he reminds uh, the poor that Robin Hood is to blame for their plight of course we know the ending of that story you see for me when I first read this story in the temple I expect a Robin Hood moment from Jesus don't you You expect Jesus to step into this moment and save this woman from giving money she didn't actually have and protect her in this moment. But that's not what happens. Quite possibly, it's just the reading of the story through a particular lens that we look at it. However, as we have this conversation about what it means to give and take as a community, it's absolutely essential that we understand that sometimes we need to receive from the community instead of giving. It wouldn't have been out of the question if Jesus had saved this woman in this moment from giving because what she really needed in this moment was to receive, not to give. Let me repeat that. Sometimes we need to receive from the church, period. Our spiritual journeys have many chapters, and sometimes these chapters include very difficult times. When it comes to family and work and health and children and events around the world, these oftentimes result in things like stress and anxiety and a sense of being drawn and quartered with our time, with our mind and our soul. And here's the fun fact. The last thing the church needs to do is add more stress and more burdens onto an individual who's facing exterior stress in these chapters of their life. And sometimes this translates into taking a break from your responsibilities within the church community. I'm reminded of a story in our community. For nearly six years, Gina Raper was the very embodiment of this findings of Giving herself day after day, week after week, year after year. Gina gave leadership to the financials of Mosaic. Just listen to the stuff that Gina did. Reconciling bank statements with expenses, entering expenses, reconciling gifts with gift givers, year-end statements, organization of counters, making deposits, cutting payroll checks, on and on and on. I had to make a list of all this stuff because I couldn't even wrap my mind around it. And she did this for six years with not a lot of support from the pastoral staff. For six years she did this. And she did it without much support. So when it came time and Gina expressed she wanted to take a rest from the role, all of a sudden it was like, what do we do? Because we had never built a system of support around her. But we prayed and Gina gave ba- great patience and endurance and we have discerned and we brought together this collective team around so that Gina can enter into a time of rest instead of a time of giving and giving and giving. Um, study I read at the beginning found this, that givers spend a lot of time trying to help other people improve the team and then, unfortunately, they suffer along the way. I want to talk about what it takes to build a culture of support around people who constantly give of themselves. Novelist Charles Dickens wrote, No one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of another. In such times, the church should be a place of healing, a place of rest, a place of of ointment to our soul. Now, that doesn't mean we take a break from the church. Let me be clear. I think stepping away from the church when you are facing very difficult trials of your life... The church should be there for you. It's counterproductive to step away from the church when the church should be a place of healing and renewal and restoration and rest, lifting the burdens of responsibilities here, but not robbing you of grace and love and mercy that you receive from people who love you. We often, when we look at the early church, we look at the early church through a lens, a rose-colored lens. We see the church, we see all this amazing stuff happening. And the church was doing things like selling their possessions, selling the property, giving it to those in need. The people were caught up in this great spirit of giving to the church. But then there was this couple called Ananias and Sapphira. And they decided that they would sell their land and they would give it to the church. But really they were giving it because they wanted to receive praise and glory for it. To the point that when they sold it, they lied to the church and told them how much they sold it for. Which really wasn't the full amount they sold it for. And they kept some of it for themselves, but said that they gave everything to the church. And there's this really awkward story that happens when Peter says to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself, some of the money you receive for the land. You have not lied just to human beings, but also to God. And Luke reports that Ananias immediately dropped dead in the moment. It's the weirdest story in the book of Acts. Soon Sapphira, his wife, came in, not knowing what happened, and Peter asked him, tell me, this price that you and Ananias, is this what you got for the land? And she says, yes. And Peter replies, this is crazy. How could you conspire against the Spirit of the Lord? The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they are ready to carry you out. (laughs) There's some dynamics that often happens when we only want to be takers from a community. A series of experiments recently were published that showed that atheist and not very religious people show greater empathy and generosity than highly religious people do a series uh, experiment, what they came to find was that uh, those that tend to be more religious tend to be more stingy with their time and their resources and their passions and their focus, which seems to be counterintuitive to the Spirit of God, a God that gives so graciously to us. There's some deep psychology that happens when we only expect to take Or receive from a relationship instead of giving of ourselves. And when we begin to pull these things back, we begin to see that there's a lot going on there. That study that I talked about earlier, the 30,000 People study, um, it was very curious. It said this. It found that takers usually succeed very quickly. They get what they want when they want it. But the study also found that takers tend to isolate themselves within an organization takers have a quick rise and then a swift fall. Uh, When I was a kid, my brothers and I uh, used to love wrestling. And yes, I'm referring to WCW and WWF. That's why it's called wrestling, not wrestling. Wrestling is what I did in high school when I wore a pair of spandex and it was very awkward and we're not going to put that picture up there. But wrestling is what you do WWF and WCW, so yes, I'm talking about Macho Man, Randy Savage, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, and when Mom and Dad bought us a trampoline, you better bet that we were trying every possible move out there on the trampoline, until all of it ended when I got the razor's edge, and hopefully somebody in this room knows what I'm talking about, and uh, it broke my nose, and uh, that kind of ended all of uh, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, Mom and Dad raised us uh, to give each other a Christmas gifts, So each brother would pick a brother and we would give a Christmas gift that year. And I remember one particular Christmas, I had some uh, really good stuff on my list. And then the day came for Christmas Day. And uh, my brother had created this great reveal. My brother Ashley created this great reveal. And when he lifted up the box, what I found was a bunch of WCW figurines. my response was totally impulsive and absolutely selfish. I I didn't hide it in my face. I was totally disappointed. And I remember the look on Ashley's face um, like it was yesterday. Um, See, what I didn't know is that Ashley had not just bought these figurines but Ashley had Taken hours upon hours to, to paint them, to alter them, to make them look more real, to change their outfits that reflected the current outfits. You remember when the NWO went from black and white to black and red? Nobody else remembers this? Okay, alright. Um, but he had taken his, the time to do this and, and what I viewed as a simple gift at the time was an expression of his creativity and his artistic ability. It was a gift that I didn't appreciate until I was much older and understand the value of love poured into action. You see, the amount of money that the widow placed in the giving chest was so little. It was so minuscule. What was her gift going to buy the temple? Two copper coins. What was that going to do? It was not going to buy even the smallest disc of incense to be burned in the intercession it was not going to buy some golden and stick holder for the courtrooms. Yet Jesus declares that such a tiny gift had such great value. I love how Eugene Peterson put it this way. The plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offering today. All these other offerings, they will never miss. She gave extravagantly from what she could not afford. She gave her all. what I want you to really take away is this, the great value of so little. More often than not, when we look within ourselves and what we might be able to give to the church, again, not offering, I'm talking about time and resources, strength and focus, we undervalue what we bring to the church. Have you ever thought to to yourself, my opinion doesn't matter? They They couldn't use my experience here. My leadership wouldn't help any. This resource isn't going to make a difference. What is this gift in the grand scheme of things? Did you know that your time and your resources and your strength and your focus, no matter the amount of them matter, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been a part of this church community, no matter how long you've been journeying with Jesus, it matters. Your ability to care for others, to sing, to teach, to plan, to think deeply, to counsel others, to create art, to nurture, to build relationships, to bring a smile to other people's faces, to navigate technology, to play an instrument, to lead by example, to think theologically, to plan financially, it matters. Yes, your two dollars in the offering plate once a month matters just as much as someone who drops a grand. Yes, you're 20 minutes a month to teach a children. You're 30 minutes per month to greet someone. You're 45 minutes to help up one time on a Sunday morning. You're counting in finances for 15 minutes one Sunday a month. It matters. Your investment in community groups, affinity groups, kingdom kids, worship leadership, hanging out with students, engaging in missional ministry, participating in Fifth Sunday. It matters. Each one of you matters. Don't think that you don't bring value to the kingdom of God. If two copper coins matter, then what you bring matters. This is what Jesus does. Jesus takes the way that we have turned this world upside down and Jesus turns it right side up. The kingdom of God is the upside down, right side up kingdom. The fact that a Poor widow giving two copper coins mattered more to the kingdom of God than what the rich were giving extravagantly tells us that God has different priorities in this world. And it's not what we anticipate. There's this cool story that happens in the book of Acts minus the Ananias and Sapphira story, because that one still creeps me out all the time. It says, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 4, uh, verse 32 through 37, it says, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, they brought the money from the sales, they put it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph a Levi from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas which means son of encouragement sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see as this poor widow and I don't want you to think of it as an act of giving money but as an act of giving oneself to the church. This widow gave so little but it mattered so much. This is a beautiful expression of people recognizing that their individual time and resources and strength and focus matter for the church. They gave freely because they knew that the Spirit of God was going to use it to do marvelous things. Back to this balance of giving and taking, do you know what the, the study found about giving and taking? It says givers improve their relationships, their organization, and their communities. The study stated, we have a huge body of evidence, many, many studies looking at the frequency of giving behavior that exists in a team or organization, and more often people are helping and sharing their knowledge and providing mentoring, and the better the organization does in every metric of measurement, higher profits, customer satisfaction, employee retention, even Low, lower operation expenses. Uh, over our lifetime, you and I are going to receive a lot of gifts. Just think about the, the amount of gifts you receive. Uh, Christmas, Easter, uh, Halloween, Festivus. I don't know if you celebrate that. I do in my house. Maybe just me. Um, I, there's one particular gift that comes to mind. I love how all the Seinfeld people all of a sudden just started realizing, oh, it's not One of the most fascinating gifts I, I ever received um, was a set of golf clubs And I know that doesn't sound fascinating at all, but the context of it matters. Um, To to the date of receiving the gift, my dad was the only one in our family who had played golf. He had picked it up himself. My brothers showed little interest in golf whatsoever. I, on the other hand, um, oftentimes would ride around with dad as he played golf. Occasionally, he'd take me to the driving range with his golf clubs and then stare in horror as he thought I was going to destroy them. Um, So on my birthday one year, um, I opened this gift and it was unexpected and it was a set of golf clubs. Honestly, they didn't put much money into it because they didn't know if I was going to stick with it. I think they spent probably $100 on this starter set of golf clubs. But this small gift became such a tremendous asset in my relationship with my father. Dad and I started playing round after round together. We'd go uh, to the driving range together. we have gone on a handful of golf trips together. The golf course became the space that we could connect, that we could talk about life, that we could share valuable time together. And all this came from a set of golf clubs that cost Very little in comparison to how much people spend on golf clubs. So much has come out of something of so little value. Now, by the way, I've beat a lot of people that spend a couple grand on their golf clubs with my hundred dollar set of golf clubs. You see, if we spent one Sunday in Mosaic, we would see that it takes a lot of little things that bring great value to this community. You would know that it makes a difference. There's something about the relationships and expressions of this church that that pulls out people's callings. And as you take a a closer look, you you begin to see that each person functions and it matters within here. Each person discovers and lives out their calling that makes the community vision a reality. On a given week, it takes 30 to 40 people uh, to contribute their giftedness and strengths and passions to make this thing happen. From setting up, to kingdom kids, to worship, to community groups, to affinity groups, to ministry, to greeting, to set up, to counting, all these things on and on and on. Mosaic wants to be a church community that doesn't look at someone and just plug you into some random slot. We want to be a church community that listens to your resources and your strengths and your assets and your passion and your time and help bring those things to a place that both benefit your journey with Jesus and benefit this church community. Sometimes the church leadership needs to come around you and support you and encourage you in these things. Each person matters. So I want you to stop and consider how this church community can benefit from what you give as an individual. Again, not tithes and offerings that the financial team's like, no, say tithes and offerings. Your resources, your strengths, your focus, and your time. We are a successful church community because people bring themselves to this community. Because they believe in the mission and vision of this community and they give of themselves to help that become a reality. Stop and imagine what your giving can do for Mosaic and the kingdom of God. How much your time and resources and strength and focus better the way we worship, better the way that we gather in community, grow children and students in the way of Jesus, spiritual dialogue and community groups, relational ministry through affinity groups, local ministry endeavors, leadership development, staffing development, space and hospitality, and so much more. Imagine how your time and resources and strengths and focus can make Mosaic and the Kingdom of God more successful. Last month, uh, a new restaurant in Raleigh opened and it joined the throng of the recent renovation of space and organic menus. But this space is different. It's a new coffee shop and lunch spot that keeps uh, the garage doors open as people come in and come and enjoy a meal there. And it's a place called A Place at the Table. And it's basically, its mission is this. If you can pay and eat, great. If you can't pay and you want to eat, even better. It's a pay-what-you-can type of restaurant. It's a type of restaurant where if you come in and you have money and you can pay for your meal and maybe pay for someone else's meal, they encourage that. Or if you can't pay for your meal but you're willing to sweep the floors and pay for your meal that way, great. So the rich and the poor can eat at the same table. Some will pay, some will pay for others, some will give, and some will receive. What a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God asked at the beginning of this, are you a giver or you are a taker? What if we all need to be a combination of both? Of both giving and receiving from this church. To my overwhelming givers, remember that out of your abundant giving, it can lead to burnout. Remember that your abundant giving might prevent someone from stepping up and giving their times and talents and resources. To my receivers, Remember that this is an important chapter in our church's journey. We need your grace to give of yourself, both to receive rest and to give hospitality. The church is about both giving and receiving. May we discover that together. As one author put it in closing, don't just. Don't just learn, experience. Don't just read. Absorb. Don't just change. Transform. Don't just relate. Advocate. Don't just promise. Prove. Don't just criticize. Encourage. Don't just think. Ponder. Don't just take. Give. Don't just see. Feel. Don't just dream. Do. Don't just hear. Listen. Don't just talk. Act. Don't just tell. Show. Don't just exist. Live. Let's pray together.